never find another like me gentlemen boys and girls i am alan moore and you are listening to capital sports on moscow's capital fm we're live and loud from downtown moscow city with two hours of pounding hardcore sports action winter is coming but we have very hot news views reviews previews and interviews the very very best in the world of sports we'll have our capital sports news with double n in just a moment then we'll welcome a very very well he's quite happy right now andy mack into the studio lies uh, so tonight we have euro 2020 qualifiers the football coach carousel continues to turn in moscow that two-hour marathon distance record run in vienna yesterday and of course the women's world marathon record falling today after 16 years england football fans misbehavior in prague Little NBA trouble in big China. And rugby rumpus out in Japan. We'll go to Tumen in part two to chat with Andrew Flint. In part three, we'll go to Vienna to chat with Kohal Denhi about Eliud Chip, Chip, Cho, Chip Kipchoga's even. Historic run yesterday in parts four and five. We'll get our news from stateside with Alex B, who is in Toronto. And of course, we'll have the return of our news quiz, or our quiz even, before finally we're going to get our mucky hands on our England cl- football correspondent Peter Staunton now while I catch my breath enjoy Double N's Capital Sports News Roundup good evening well, highlight of the past week was of course Russia's no. annihilation no. of Scotland and Russia continuing their great run towards the next year's Euros back at Luzhniki for the first time since the penalty win over Spain last year's World Cup Zuba and Co. ran out easy winners 4-0. And just moments ago, Russia followed up on Thursday's cakewalk with a 5-0 win in Cyprus. Elsewhere, Andy's mic predictions came through as England slipped to a 2-1 defeat in Prague amidst scenes of inevitable fan violence. Before the game, English players threatened to walk off the field if they were racially abused. However, nothing seemed to be made of the latest outbreak of public disorder. Andorra ended a 21-year away for a win in European qualifying by beating Moldova 1-0. The Andorans now have three wins in competitive matches since their first official game 23 years ago. Yesterday, Ireland failed to win in Belize and now must beat either Switzerland or Denmark to qualify directly. Armenia failed to beat lowly Liechtenstein and had to settle for a 1-1 draw. Norway draw also, but away to Spain. 
Today, we were wins. There were wins for Netherlands, Hungary, Belgium, Scotland, and Russia. Four games kick off at 9.45 tonight, including the local derby between Austria and Slovenia, but more importantly, Wales versus Croatia. We'll update on scores as they come in. In local news, Domenico Tedesco is set to be appointed as a new head coach of Spartak. Formula One saw a Mercedes 1-3 with Bottas and Hamilton making a Ferrari sandwich with Sebastian Vettel. Russia's Daniel Kwiat finished one lap down in 12th. Of course, uh, that Grand Prix took place in Japan barely because of Typhoon Hagibis, the same Typhoon that saw 2019 Rugby World Cup match cancelled. However, yesterday, oh. Ireland got past Samoa and today's match between Scotland and Japan went ahead with the house knocking Scotland out of the competition. In the light of the latest doping scandal involving Alberto Salazar and Nike's Oregon projects, Kenya Bridget Cascade broke a 16-year record in women's marathon by more than a minute. And back to you, Alan. Thank you very, very much, Double N. And, uh, okay, Andy, before we go on any further, I've, I've heard that the Scottish Rugby Football Union have put in an appeal. For some new players? No, to backdate it so that actually the game... Ah, yeah, like, so you, you know, can just cancel it. Yeah, just yeah. cancel the game yeah, and go back to have it all. Yeah, exactly. So, um... Dublin, thank you very, very much. Um, I know, I know, we're being hard on you there in our sports round. But, uh, <laughs> I'm real. <laughs> like, as you and McGregor said, it's <coughs> being Scottish. Exactly. <laughs> so, listen, um, what what happened, of course, to to that um, Scottish rugby team today? Because 28-7 at halftime, they did fight back, but again, it. it, it I mean, I'm not a f- fan of Japan, definitely not. But Scotland, they they should have won that match. Um, Yes, they should have won it. Um, I think perhaps scoring the way that they did so easily at the start, I think they kind of took their foot off the pedal a bit and um, allowed Japan to play their own game. Um, mentioned last week that if you play a seven style, kind of where you let them keep running at you and running at you and running at you, it's in, in those conditions, you're going to get forced into mistakes. And um, Scotland's defending of it was really good at times, uh, but the blips and the mistakes, I think um, Finn Russell was uh, had a shocker from start to finish, other than his try. Um, yeah, something to learn from it. I think there's there's big question marks now over Gregor Townsend and his future as, as coach. Um, certainly for the... Uh, I mean, we didn't have substitutions. Scotland didn't have viable substitutes to bring on for uh, the backs that weren't performing. And, you know, he dropped Hugh Jones, who was a massive try scorer for us in the Six Nations. And I think there'll be serious question marks whether he'll continue now. Okay. Um, of course, you got absolutely slapped around the place and you were at that game covering for us on, on Thursday, 4-0. But it was looking okay at halftime. I mean, they were competing well and there wasn't that much between them. I mean, I, I thought genuinely that Scotland could have gotten a draw out of that game against Russia. I, I didn't think either side were impressive. No, I, 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 Russia got lucky The, the scoreline yeah. really flattered Very Russia, so. but Scotland so. were, were, were awful as well. Um, Again, selection. Oliver Burke up front hasn't really... I mean, he's played a few times for Oliver's out on loan, but hasn't really impressed. Um, it just doesn't make sense. He's um, Steve Clark, who he did fantastically. He was manager of Kilmarnock at club level last season. Um, it's just the picks. I mean, Robert Fleck in the middle of the park had a, had a poor game. Um, the defenders were at sixes and sevens. Mulgrew giving the ball away. Robertson was out of position for two of the goals. His head went down almost immediately, um, and you know that's your captain. You're looking to lift players, and you know, although we can't qualify, um, it's now mathematically impossible. Um, it's still going on. To we need to finish in third because 
the next draw for the next call-up. So if you keep slipping up and dropping points, all of a sudden you're ranked fourth or fifth in we those tables. And you're ending up with an absolutely impossible task of ever qualifying. Exactly. Um, looking at today, so Russia won away, of course, we know, uh, against Cyprus. A decent Cyprus team. I mean, they're not that, not that bad. 5-0 uh, winners, Cherishev starting and finishing the scoring. And you talk about captaincy and leaders. Like, I mean, Juba again getting on the, on the score sheet with a goal in the minutes. Not a good minute. header, yeah. Yeah, I mean, he, he's, he's, he is a towering presence. I mean, um, how important is Juba to that Russian team, to the, the style of play as well? Uh, very. I think he unsettles defenders. Though, I mean, he's so big and deceptively very good on the ground as well. Um, he doesn't do a lot of running, but I think it's the marshalling and he makes it difficult and brings in other players. And you could see that was a massive difference uh, at the game on Thursday. Scotland were pinging the ball up and it was just coming straight back, whereas Zuba was able to link play a little bit better and bring in the players coming, coming there. But, um, yeah, I mean, just such a difference. He's such a presence on the pitch. Um, and the fans absolutely adore him. Exactly. I mean, he was the guy who last year, when things would go wrong in the World Cup, before the World Cup, he, he took a bite of scruff and neck. He went in, put Churchesov outside the, the dressing room and spoke with the players and basically, you know, told them what was what. Now, he had other players backing up as well. I mean, they've got like some quality players like Cherishev as well, who's, you know, done very, very well and has, you know, shown even at club level he's improving and improving. Looking at Russia now, I mean, they're on a great run in these qualifiers in 2019. They haven't lost since March when they lost, went down 3-1 in Belgium. Um, beating Scotland, you know, I mean, OK, it's, it's a good step for them. But at the same time, I mean, it's, you know, winning home and away against Scotland, beating Kazakhstan. But is this about the limit for this Russian team? I mean, they'll, they'll compete and beat the second-level nations, but they're not going to beat Belgium. They're not going to beat France. They're not going to beat Germany or even maybe Ireland. Well, that's the marker. Um, obviously, that group has been, as it's turned out, fairly weak. I mean, Kazakhstan put up a bit of a fight against them. Uh, Kazakhstan put up a bit of a fight against Belgium today. So perhaps they're not as bad as everyone makes them out to be. I mean, no, I mean, no let's put it this way. When Scotland went over and played in that absolute potato pitch uh, and lost, you mean, it, 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 it was unfair. So, like, Kazakhstan, like, they have some decent players, but they're not quite there yet in their, in their development terms. But they're not bad either. They're not a bad team. But still, that group overall, I mean, Scotland yeah, have underperformed. they haven't been tested. They haven't Scotland, been tested. Scotland have been knocking on the, on, on the back door for quite some time and just not getting through. Um, yeah, not since 1998, the last time we qualified for anything. Thanks for reminding me. <laughs> it's been a good week. A <laughs> <laughs> great week. I mean, a very good week. Um, okay, now, looking at that and, and, and looking at Russian football and coming back into it, Double N mentioned that um, Spartak looked to be ready to announce a, a foreign coach, another foreign coach who probably, you know, will, will get a lot of backing to begin with. He is an Italian name, well, he's Italian, but he'll end up being shown the door quite soon. You know who it is. Tell us a bit about him because we, were, we, almost, we, 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 were, we knew that it was an Italian coach a couple of weeks ago. Um, when Dario was here with us and what she said it's not Carrera but it will be another Italian coach who is it Andy? Well yeah Dominica T Tedesco he, he's Italian born but I think he, he moved to Germany very very young um, um, didn't really have any sort of a, a, a playing career as such um, finished top of his class when he got his coaching badges in 2016 and rubbed shoulders with big names he was picked out by Schalke after only a handful of games in the uh, Bundesliga 2 um, and it's someone who'd picked out previously the likes of um, Klopp, um, Tuchel as well, um, both selected with very little managerial experience initially at Mainz, 
and Tedesco has come through the same sort of path. In his first season, he was extremely impressive at Schalke, finished second, got them back into the Champions League, um, and then the, the, the train seemed to kind of come to a crashing halt the season after when they went on a bad run. Um, I think a few of us will remember Man City's absolute, for want of a better word again, annihilation uh, of Schalke um, that season. But it's it's a very interesting appointment, I think, personally. I'm quite excited by it for Spartak because... Why so? Why? I mean, because, I mean, like, we saw him, we saw him personally against um, Lokomotiv here and, and, and at home as well, like, oh, obviously yeah. in Gelsenkirchen. Yeah. Um, he works with the youth system, say, for example, in Valve Stuttgart. So he, he has pedigree in developing... But after he, he was signed on an initial two-year deal, we were discussing this before the show, then uh, Schalke extended it after a great first season when they finished second, got into the Champions League again. They extended it until 2022. A year later, he was gone. So, I mean, that doesn't fill me with a lot of hope. And why should Spartak fans be hopeful? Well, he's a very, very intelligent guy. This, this is someone with a... I think he's got a PhD in innovative management. Um... And a lot of the players and the, the media, when, when he was doing so well, were talking about how he was tactically innovative. And the way that he sets up generally is a 3-4-3. Three, three. Um, and over time, so he made Schalke very difficult to beat. And then over time, he sort of tweaked that system to almost have a, a, a pentagon um, going forward for the press. So initially, it was um, the three at the back and they'd draw teams in uh, with a very low, un, you know, not very non-aggressive press and then hit teams quickly on the counter. And I think that would kind of suit Spartak and would make them difficult to beat again. And then eventually, once they'd got into that rhythm, then he, he sort of incorporated a higher press using midfielders. We had, um, if you remember, Alex Mayer, uh, Leon Goretzka at Schalke, both came on leaps and bounds as young midfielders under him. So I think it's quite an exciting time, especially if you look at that squad with the likes of Zobnin, Till, even Ananidze. Sure, they'll, they'll all fit that, but at the back, I'm not quite sure. It'll okay, be interesting well, to see what he does with the back three and the one number ten up, uh, number nine up front, effectively. If, if he signs this week, uh, his first game, well, he won't probably be able to take charge of the game against Ruby, and so that's at home. Uh, the next game, then, is going to be away, well, away in, in, in relative terms, against Lokomotiv. Lokomotiv are on a flyer at the moment. So, I mean, going in to take the, the, the leaders of, of, the, um, of the Premier League, who most likely will win down in Grozny, unless there's some dodgy business with referees again. But most likely, Lokom are going to win. They're going to be top of the league. And then Spartak have to go and try to do a number on them. That's, that's, a, that's a bad start. I mean, that's... It's not ideal. You're right about that. Um, again, coming into a team like that, where there will be a language barrier, obviously, for, for many of them... Um, I think he can't really tinker too much, but just having a new guy in, the players will want to impress and quickly because there will be a lot of competition for the few places that are important in that squad. Um, yeah, I mean, it's it's a horrible position to be in the coach going into a game like that. I, I don't know how he would go about it. I don't think you can tinker too much. We'll see. I mean, because, OK, we're looking right now. So Spartak to 12th in the table, um, you know, they're, they're not like not seen that many goals. Like they're they scored thirteen, conceded fifteen. They're not too far off the the top half of the table, but they're quite a way back from that five 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 like five team group of the top. Like you've got like Siska and like the next team up on twenty five points. Yeah. So I mean, realistically, one win could put them up next to Ufa. Yeah, but, I mean, we, we were talking about Lokomotiv being down in fifth after that disappointing result against Rostov, and you can see how quickly that table can change if you string a few results together. 
So if you can read, bring a bit of confidence back to the squad again early on and not get beat by Lokomotive, they could quickly jump up that table again. Uh, but I think it's important that Spartak give him longer than a season to implement his ideas because I think they could be effective in this Russian league. Okay, that, that is fair enough. I mean, we, we, it's interesting to see um, what's going to happen there because, I mean, if Spartak are patient, like if he gets it, as it's been sort of rumoured, a two and a half year There's deal. There's a thing. That, uh, that's, that's probably it. the biggest yeah, thing, And, and, and I think it's if, if the owner shows a bit of bottle and doesn't just react to the fans whinging, that maybe they could do something, you know. So, okay, plus 795 send in your messages on WhatsApp or on, the, of course, SMS or Viber. Let us know what you think of that. So, is Tedesco the man for Spartak? I'm not so sure. I don't think he's going to get that long to do. Uh, Double M, what do you reckon? This, this Italian-German, do you think he's going to do well? Yeah, um, I think, like Andy said, uh, there are quite a few challenges right in the beginning because, like, we know where Spartak is right now in the table and in the game overall. So, um, yeah, if he has some time in, in the team and he's not, like, um, he's given all he needs, like, all the time, like, I think he's going to be successful. But, yeah, it's going to be ta- a difficult task for whoever it is. Coming yeah. in, coming in. Yeah. Poison chalice, poison chalice, okay. All right, folks, We uh, this past week it was Andy's birthday. We won't give away his age. So we, we, we asked him what's on the 21. Exactly, yet again. <laughs> um, so we, 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 we said to him, look, Andy, pick a song. So we picked a song for Andy because his favourite song is on his number one, his playlist. This is all so, lies. Uh, no, it's not. <laughs> it's not. It's not. So here we go. Get to the break with Kelly's and Milkshake. Oh, back God. after this. Capital Sports. With Alan Moore. My milkshake brings all the boys to the yard and their life is better than yours. Damn right, it's better than yours. I could teach you, but I have to charge. My milkshake brings all the boys to the yard and their life is better than yours. Damn right, it's better than yours. I could teach you, but I have to charge.
Welcome back, folks, to part two of Capital Sports here on Moscow's Capital FM. We are just waiting for Andrew Flint to join us. We're going to continue on with the, uh, the Cyprus game. So, uh, Andy, there was, there was a, a certain sending off. You saw that sending off, of course. We were looking at it here before we went on air. Yeah. Um, I mean, it was, a clear, it was a clear red card. A clear red card for the Cypriots. But a bit hard as well, because the referee led away a couple of belts just before that, and then he punished the final tackle. So, I mean, that was, that was when they were still in the game. It was only 2-0, and then that, that, that changed the whole course of the game. Well, it certainly changed the course of the game. I mean, Cyprus, um, actually, uh, they didn't have a shot on target in the first half. I'm not sure they had a shot on target in the whole game. So how much it really changed the course of it, 2-0 down already, I'm not sure. Um, I mean, the Cheryshev goal to open it up and on, in just the ninth minute was was an absolute cracker. Um, the next one from Ozdoyev, obviously, he hit a belter himself against Scotland. Uh, his was a bit scrappy. Uh, then that red card, yeah, I mean, it was an absolute shin breaker. I don't think the referee really had any other. No, any, no, he went over the top of the ball for sure. Any other option there? Um, listen, the one thing that that was that we did mention it already in the first part, uh, and how important it is is Cheryshev because, of course, he's playing in. What Fernando Sanz told me was the, the best uh, league in the world, the La Liga. How, how important is he for Russia? We, we already spoke with Juba about, like, you know, in the, the Scottish game and in the Cypriot game, of course. How important is uh, Cherishev? I think um, the World Cup changed everyone's kind of perception about him with the goal, the types of goals that he scored. I mean, he doesn't do easy goals. He really uh, no, yeah. generally not. Um, and when, when I watch him play in La Liga, he doesn't. It, it doesn't feel like the Cheryshev that you you watch when he when he has on that Russian jersey. Um, I don't think he he has quite a bigger impact being surrounded by some of the players that he, he plays alongside in, ah, in, so in, in that league. The, the overall, maybe, or maybe he doesn't get the the, the free reign. Yeah, I think there's a lot of an onus of him to get the ball and perform and be direct with it with Russia. Whereas in Spain, that perhaps isn't the way that they want to play. Um, they're looking at a bit more possession-based than the technical passing, whereas that direct movement and the likes of playing off Zuba, I mean, must be absolutely ideal for him as well because he's he's pacey, uh, direct, he's, his runs are very good, and he kind of suits that system much more, I think, than kind when, when, when he's playing his domestic, also. yeah. It's, okay. it's kind of a good kind of combo that they've got there. Nice one. Okay, we're going to go out to two men because uh, Andrew Flint, he was covering the game for us as well. So, Andrew, um, a huge win for Russia. Nine goals, none conceded. They're on their way to the Euros next year, aren't they? 
They certainly are. And I have to be honest, they, they deserve it. I, I, I think everybody thought they would come second in the group behind Belgium, but I didn't think it would be quite this simple and quite this early. Um, and it's not all been plain sailing. And the Kazakhstan game at home was very, very tense towards the end and, and needed and, a late, late goal there. But and I mean, it was quite an unfair goal as well. They got character I mean, this yeah. side. I mean, it, like that, that game, that goal, we, we, we called it here on the show, was that it was a handball in the lead-up. It should have been a foul. Free, and then it was a, yeah. a really terrible free kick given in for the goal. But at the same time, that's what Liverpool are doing. That's what Man United did for so long, like winning scrappy yeah. games and, and, and doing it. Um, like overall, against Cyprus, I mean, they, they, they battered the Cypriots. I mean, they, you know, the Cypriots didn't have a single shot on target out of the three shots that they had overall. Um, but, mm. you know, as I, as I mentioned earlier on, okay, they've beaten Scotland, beaten Cyprus in the space of a few days, but can they step it up then against the first, the first rank nations? Okay, we just dropped on. We get him back on the I line. I think that was a no. Yeah, I think that was a no. <laughs> and again, look at that. Okay, so we look like Andrew. You are back on with us. Yes, Andrew. Yep. Hello. Yeah. Okay. You guys hear so me? yeah, yeah. So Andrew. Um, that we go. <laughs> okay. Can they can they step it up against the first tier nations and really make a breakthrough? Because there's a good mix of young and old in this bunch, and some very talented young players like you know Golovin who got on the the, the score sheet today, and Ozdoyev who for me mm-hmm. like a couple of years ago I thought he, he he's a player who had to get out of Russia because he has so much skill. So he scored as well today. So I mean. Looking at all, even the, the, all the, the goal scorers there, only one or two of them are playing outside of Russia. Um, do you think that there's there's more to come from this team? I I would be quietly optimistic that there is. I mean, when you consider the drama around and Fyodor Chalov not being called up, and a lot of people saying Chichasov, well, why are you not calling him up when you've got Komlachenko coming in as well? Um, there's strength in depth there. Ivan Ignatiev could, if he matures and settles down, I think he needs to work out what he's going to do for the next few years because I don't think his head is entirely committed to Krasnodar long term. Um, I think his agent puts words in his ear, shall we say. But there's options there. The under-21 side that they, they put out against uh, Poland was a really good side full of experience with team experience so I think there is room for improvement um, the real test will be next summer in the finals and I don't think they will challenge a lot but they have shown they can on their day as we saw last summer okay now uh, the the game today as uh, for me I, I thought that it hinged on that red card because it was within the first 30 minutes um, do you think that it if there wasn't that red card, that you know, Cyprus would have had more of a, a chance because I mean, the, Russia were—it's over two to one in terms of possession and the whole lot, and of course, shots on goal. We just seen here on the screen: twenty-two shots, twelve on target for Russia. But do you think that maybe being down to ten men for so long that Cyprus just didn't have that extra bit of an advantage? Well, I mean, of course it changes the game, but I actually, I really don't think it would have changed the result at all. Cyprus were, were pretty much rabbits in the headlights for, for the entire game. Um, I mean, the, when you think of high-pressing sides, a lot of people go straight, the mind goes straight to Jurgen Klopp's game pressing at Liverpool, which is, is you know, got a bit of a label for it. But Russia weren't sort of pressing energetically, they just simply were pr- positioned high up the pitch because they knew they were going to win it back and, and Cyprus has had no out ball at all um, and that's with 11 men so I really I think it probably would have ended up as a, a low key 1 or 2 nil possibly had there been no red card but I don't think it actually changed the overall result because Russia was so in control Okay, um, Russia now after that win today, second in the group which as you said like was expected um, 
have scored 27 goals, which is quite a bit. Three less, of course, than Belgium. Um, what odds would you give them when they go to play Belgium in the, the final game of the qualifiers? Uh, it's quite an interesting one, really. I guess because Belgium have well they've, they've won every game so far there's absolutely zero pressure on them um, so perhaps they might play an experimental side and I mean you'd have to say the, the away game the first game of the group stage I thought Russia competed very well um, they, they just didn't have the quality and, and Belgium ran out 3-1 winners but Cherishev's goal gave a bit of hope there was an outlet there um, I, I think probably a draw is the most likely um, for that for that Belgium game, but it's. I don't think it really matters too much for either side now that the pro, um, progression to the finals has been secured. So it'll be interesting to see though. The teams teams might change, and you never know. It could be another interesting result. Okay, looking at okay, they, Russia were able to sort of like do it. For for example, the likes of uh, Zhirkov today um, is Kudryashov. Kudryashov, is he worth his place in the team? Is he is he ready to to step up into uh, into those shoes of Yuri Zhukov? Um, You know, I would have said a year ago, I probably would have been much more in favour of it, and I still think on balance he can do a job for a while. I think what concerns me a little bit more is the the left backs that you would imagine Russia two years ago had earmarked to step up, like um, Elmer Nabiulin, for example. He's been a huge disappointment since his his move to Zenit, and I thought he was going to be that you know bombing forward on the left flank option. Um, for the time being, I I think he can he can do a job. He's re- relatively versatile. He's experienced enough. Um, it's, it's not it's not an exciting option. Um, he's not a Mary Fernandez, of course, but he, he can offer a, a bit of cover in the centre as well. So it's not an exciting option, but I think he can do a job, certainly. Um, he has enough players around him to perhaps make him look better than he really is. Well, OK, because looking across the the, the, the defence, I mean, you've got look, Jicky who's in there now, the, the Spartak player, of course. He's 25 years of age, so, I mean, he's a good long-term option. Fernandez is still only 29. Mm. Um, I said, but... The likes of Kudryachov, Ignatiev, I mean, this is their last hurrah to, to, to do something. Even Semyonov as well. Um, who else is coming through from that under-21 side that you think maybe might be worth a bit of a look at in those final two qualifiers against San Marino and uh, Belgium? You know, I would really like to see Igor Devev um, come through to the senior squad because he's he's settled into a an intense atmosphere at CSK Moscow, a changing side pretty seamlessly um, and for, for a young guy a tall, tall defender he is an option he's got to be in the frame surely he's, he's a regular at CSK Moscow and he's, he's been, had the attention of European sides as well um, I would perhaps like to see Roman Yevgenyev come through um, he's also played a lot for Dynamo Moscow um, you know these are players who've been developed natively they're really given the experience and I think it's worth trying them out. The only thing I would say is that I wouldn't throw both of them in straight together. I'd say one alongside Jikia for the Belgian game, perhaps. Um, I have bad memories of Capello calling up um, uh, Ilya Kutupov for his international debut before he'd even played, I think it was. Um, he hadn't played... Oh, sorry, Nikita Chornov, was it? Yeah, sorry, he, that's right. Yeah, he, hadn't even, he hadn't played Premier League. He played Cup, um, I think it was, but he never played Premier League, exactly. Yeah, yeah, that that sort of, I wouldn't go that far, but we don't need to, that's the best part. Devev has that Premier League experience, so um, I would I would look at that. Okay, uh, Andy, Andy's here in studio with us. Um, Andy, like, okay, the, the Cypriot game now is in the past, but of course, Russia put five goals past them, nine goals over two games, they're doing well. Is it time maybe for the last two games to give you its fling? 
Um, I'd, I'd say not only youth as well. I'd, I'd, I'd go for a complete tinker formations, bring in the likes of Chaloff, maybe give him a run. Uh, Komlachenko sat on the bench as well, has been um, on absolute fire for Mlada Boleslav in, in the Czech Republic. I think these players are worth finding out whether they're going to step up. Um, I mean, the San Marino game is, is the ultimate dead rubber, but if you're going to try something just to see whether it is going to work against a team that will just sit in and defend and defend and defend, you say, OK, is this a way that we might be able to break down other teams or looking forward to the, to, to the actual the big tournament next year? just to give him an, an, another option, a, a, a good positive kind of problem going ahead. Okay. Um, if, if we look at that, what, what did you take out of the game today, Andrew? Like, what was, what was the positives you took out? Well, I, I think, actually, Andy Mack makes a very good point. Um, Chichesov has been quite clear that he, is, he wants one type of central striker. You know, he, he explained not calling up Chaloff because it, it, I want somebody who can fit the Zuba role. But I think it's, it's a little bit naive and silly to not, especially, like he says, in the San Marino game, try out a more, a more mobile option. Um, Chaloff does drop off a bit more. But Zuba, Zuba did do that quite well today, I thought, actually. Um, he did feed his his attacking midfielders pretty well, but um, it, it's silly having somebody of the talent of Chalif to not at least try and work out how can we fit him in, because at some point, Zuba is 31 years old. I mean, he can only play this type of physical, aggressive game for another two or three years, you'd imagine. Um, he's had bad injuries too in the past, hasn't he? Yeah, yeah, I mean, he's spent a fair bit of time, I yeah. mean, he, but he's, in one way, he's quite lightly played. It's, you know, he hasn't been, he hasn't abused his body much, even like, he puts himself about, but he doesn't smash into people. He's not like the mm. typical big front man, as, as Andy said. He has some. He has good skill, good touch, good ability, good movement as well. He's not the kind of old style mm. centre forward who puts puts his head in where people wouldn't put their feet. So you know, okay. So, but you 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 see merit in just leaving him there, or would you rather stick in a shallow? I, th I think certainly for the next international break, it's a golden opportunity to put Chaloff in. Um, because for one, it will slightly quieten the noise that you, you shouldn't just bow to pressure of media and fans saying we want Chaloff. But I think it, it would help in a way. Um, it's, it, it's silly to, to just play one style because eventually you will get found out. This system works, but it has worked against sides that. I mean, I'm sorry, Andy Mack. I don't mean to be, don't mean to be disrespectful to Scotland, but please, they please are not be. the best Scotland we've seen in recent years. Um, and you know, it's, it's not quite the challenge that is going to be in the finals of tournaments. So you need to have another option. So certainly, I definitely think Chalos should be in there, um, and perhaps give Juba a rest for an international break. I don't know, um, but it's worth trying. Certainly, it's such a good opportunity. They definitely need a plan B definitely need yeah, it. Yeah, that's true. I mean, okay, yeah. if, if you look at it, they have players, okay, Zobnin, who is now out injured, he's, well, we're, like, we're, he'll be out for a little bit, but you've got then the Maranchuks who'll be back from injury as well. Um, Smolov, again, out injured, but they have a lot of decent players who are all capable of coming back in to make that squad so much better because even Akhmetov in the middle of the field, he's still only a young fella, you know, and, and I mean, mm. they, they have great quality that can actually add to that, uh, add to the squad. Um, so I don't know. Like personally, I think after after I came today, I'm 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 hopeful against Scotland. I thought ah they were patchy at best, but um, I don't know. I, I but again, it, it they 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 did in the big stage against Spain. Um, they didn't, you know, they 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 shocked everybody to get through. But at the same time, I don't know. There's still something lacking in Churchesov. Maybe it's this kind of mentality. He doesn't like to change. 
Yeah, I definitely think so. Um, I've been a big supporter of his the way he has he has done. Nobody can deny he's done a very good job changing the character of the squad from the old guard, the cliques that were set in there, um, and being fairly ruthless with it. It's not been a smooth path to the the squad we now have, and I still think there's a lot of changes that need to happen. Another change I think really ought to happen fairly soon is I'm, I have very little faith in Guillermo. I think in goal he's he's relatively error prone and you've got two standout obvious answers um, in the youth ranks maybe they should also be given a game give um, give Safranov or um, uh, Maximienko a game um, but with with the Chesesov rigidity the lack of the stubbornness to change I think it is an issue especially if he doesn't do it with like like we've said these two, well, they are dead rubbers. They should have done all they need to do. Um, but you've got one easy chance, San Marino, and you've got a real test against Belgium. It's, it's you've got the best of both worlds. It's, okay. it's one Those, those games, of course, no coming risk. up, uh, Andrew's games coming up the 16th of November in St. Petersburg against Belgium, and then, of course, away in Cerevalli and San Marino on the 19th of November. Uh, Andrew, quick last question, quick one word answer. Tedesco, a good signing for Spartak or not? No. Okay. In one word, no. Okay, there we go. <laughs> we got it. Go okay. Downhill. Andrew, thank you that we finally got you on the phone to Stephen. So we will talk to you again next week. Have a good night there in Tumen. Okay, that was Andrew Flint uh, out in Tumen covering that for us because we, we almost didn't get him on the air to Stephen. We did and we, we got through it. Okay. Um, Andy, very, very quickly, Gulermi to stay in the Russian team or no? He, he, he puts the fear up me. Okay. Um, there's, yeah, he's, he's a blunder waiting to happen every time. All right. All right. So, that is uh, Andy's word on that. So, everyone's saying, drop Guilherme. Well, let's wait to see what happens next call. Okay, we're going into the break right now. We'll come back with Cahal Denny. Um, you're going to like this one. It's a proper, proper sports song. This is the White Stripes and Seven, Eights, Seven Nations Army. Back after the break. Capital Sports with Alan Moore.
Folks, welcome back to part three of Capital Sports here on Moscow's Capital FM. I'm Alan Moore, and still in the studio with me are Double N and Andy Magna. Double N is going to cover the games that are kicking off at nine forty-five. What what do we have to look forward to? We have a local derby. We have Austria, Slovenia, and yeah, what, and, and Wales, Wales, Croatia. Croatia yeah. That's a good one. Okay, another local derby. Well, <laughs> technically, yeah, they're in Europe, and then we also have well a bit of a lower rank one. Estonia, Germany, and. Um one more is Poland and North Macedonia. Okay, I <laughs> that's that's it. it Mas- I, I can't get used to North Macedonia. North Macedonia, it's Macedonia. Well, Macedonia officially officially is a part of Greece. It's a it's a region within Greece, which is why this whole hoo ha started out over the names. So is Ulster part of Ireland, but. I don't make a deal with it. (laughs) 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 All right, I'll I'll move on very, very quickly from that. Um, So, uh, lots of issues uh, came up. We've got a few messages in, people saying like, you know, that that they're not so sure that they agree with with replacing Guillermo. I think it could be Lokomotiv fans saying that, no, 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 leave him in, he had a great game. He didn't concede a goal in those two games. Well, people quickly forget that absolute shocker to give Scotland the lead um, at at Hamden. At Hamden, exactly. and yeah, it, no, I don't know. I just can't trust him. I got, and and then I go back to the week before João Felix, Atletico Madrid. I mean, oh no, that was terrible. We did actually and that changed last week, and yeah, that yeah. changed the, the, the whole complexity of that game for them as well. They then had to chase it and lost. Yeah, but would you would you want some young, like relatively young and tried keeper um, in against Belgium next time out? Why not? Throw, throw them into that sort of pressure of having to face... I, I mean, the difficult one for Russia is in qualifying. They probably... The goalkeepers don't really have to do 
too much in those games. And when called upon, Guillermo made a mistake against Scotland. In a game against Belgium, that keeper's going to be busy, probably, for the 90 minutes. So therefore, it's not about total concentration. In case something happens, it is you are on your toes pretty much at all times. Okay. Um, all right. So moving slightly away from football, we'll return to it quite soon because we're going to get uh, Peter Stoughton on the phone as well because there's a lot to go through, especially the English fans. Um, and he is travelling with them. So we'll, we'll, we'll catch him in a short while. Um, this past week has been kind of, we covered last week, of course, the or- Nike Oregon project, um, which was actually shut down. Then shut down. We reported on it. Well, not us. Well, everyone reported on it because of uh, Alberto Salazar and his Dr. Brown. They were both given four year bans from uh, athletics um, and or from sports. And then all of a sudden, Nike closed their project. Uh, less than a week later, which is a few days later, then the two hour record, the limit, the barrier for the uh, marathon. Okay, so 26.1 miles. I don't know how many kilometers. 50, 42 kilometers? 42 kilometers? Uh, we'll find in a moment. Uh, was broken by more than 20 seconds. Okay? Um, and, I mean, it was a, a momentous thing. And then, also today, then the 16-year-old, as we already mentioned, 16-year-old world record for women's marathon was broken as well. Now, the thing in common that they had is Nike, especially these new Nike Vaporflies, which supposedly give a 4% advantage to the runners who are wearing them. And people can't buy them regularly, or I think they're maybe $400, $500, okay? So they're, they're very, very expensive. To explain this and more, with a man who was there in Qatar, so he's at the World Athletic Championships, and also in Vienna yesterday. So he's, he's waiting on the line for us in Vienna, waiting for us to get through with him, and he can go out and relax and enjoy the beautiful former capital of the Habsburg Empire. Cahal Denhi, do you hear us? It, I do indeed, Alan. It's good to get a bit of culture because I haven't got much else culture besides watching a good yogi this weekend. So thanks for that piece of information. <laughs> You're welcome. There you go. <laughs> Listen, Cole, um <clears throat> starting straight away, uh, last week is last week. Yesterday, I mean, regardless of everything else, it was a huge performance from, okay, I know he had his pacemakers and so on, but can you just run us through what happened yesterday on the streets of Vienna? Yeah, so essentially Elliot Kipchoge, the best marathoner who's ever lived, really, Olympic champion, already had the official world record at 201.39. It was uh, a stunt about, basically it was a a, a stunt, uh, not a regular race, it was more of a time trial. It was a time trial. Um, This first started basically in 2017, Nike came up with the Breaking 2 project, realising, I suppose, that they were never going to break the two-hour marathon, certainly during Elliot Kipchoge's career or any athlete really in a regular race where pacemakers have to start the race and then you know they can't sub in and out and stay there the whole race basically under IWF rules. Nike came up with the Breaking 2 project, Elliot Kipchoge was behind that and so they, I guess they bent the rules a bit whereby they had teams of pacemakers coming in and out of the race so that he'd always have someone in front of him breaking the wind for him and did little things like you know they gave him his drinks from a bike rather than picking them off a table which he'd have to do in a regular race just to try and save a few seconds Um Elliot Kipchoge back in 2017 came up 25 seconds short of the two-hour barrier. It didn't count as an official world record, of course, for those reasons I mentioned. So then this time around, um, it was obviously it's a career ambition of his. He's done everything else, world champion, Olympic champion, official world record. This was his dream. And he said, you know, it wasn't about getting an official world record. This this was about, for him, inspiring the world and showing people what's possible. Um, so it was essentially a flat course. It was still the same distance, 26.2 miles. But the difference, I suppose, to a regular marathon was that he had these this, four, this team of 41 pacemakers. He'd have five in front of him at any one time and two behind him. 
and the runners in front of them would be arranged in a V formation, which they found in aerodynamic testing to be the most efficient way of running. So it was a 9.6K loop through the, the Prater Park in the middle of Vienna. And besides that, yeah, it was it was an astonishing day, I suppose, an astonishing spectacle. It was one of the best atmospheres I've ever seen at a road event. Um, the, uh, probably 20, 25,000 people came out from Vienna. And really, I think if anything was surprising it wasn't so much that he did it it was the ease with, with which he did it he went 20 seconds under the two hour barrier and I suppose there's many reasons for this obviously the pacemakers help obviously things like nutrition have got much better in the last couple of years they've said Kipchoge he, I mean he's a once in a once a century kind of talent Kipchoge is um, but however I suppose the thing that creates a lot of reservations among people is that these Nike shoes are just so powerful so effective they came on came onto the market in 2017 officially to the mass market but Nike were giving them to some of their best runners Kipchoge himself wore the Vaporfly shoes uh, during his Olympic win in 2016 and I suppose what's controversial is there never before ever since I guess runners have started wearing shoes has there been such game-changing technology that has radically altered the landscape of distance running because these shoes have a carbon fiber blade embedded in the midsole um, along with huge levels of cushioning and the way they're shaped it's essentially the blade is like a spoon and it very much propels you forward they oh, found in independent testing the original version of the shoe improves running economy by four percent which translates to probably about a two percent difference in time but obviously a two percent difference in a marathon is colossal you know you're talking talking 90 seconds or so so it's a uh, it's a huge game changer that these have made and the latest incarnation of the shoe the third edition of the shoe is what Elliot Kipchoge wore on or yesterday to set that time that's not going to be available on the mass market until next year um, and you know talking to people who know a bit more about the shoe they kind of say it's it's far more powerful than the previous two versions and it's more like a, a six or seven percent improvement in running economy so, so technically just... i guess there, there is grounds that you could ban this shoe because the iwf rule states that any new technology has to be freely available to all in the spirit of universality of athletics i guess the spirit of fair play and these shoes at the moment are very much not available to all now you could say right now it doesn't matter because kipchoge was only running against himself it was a time trial not a race However, there's a precedent here that Nike, with its first two editions of this shoe, when it brought out the Vaporfly in 2017, when it brought out the Next Percent in 2018, it was giving the prototype shoes to some of its very best elite athletes. And then maybe six months, eight months before the shoes were available on the mass market. And in fairness to Nike, they're way ahead of their competitors here. They're two, three, four years ahead of their rivals in creating these shoes. Well, just, but just, I guess just, just to, on the to, flip side, the morals of it are questionable. Well, just on, on that, okay, the, the, the morality aside, okay, with Nike and morals, it's always like a kind of a grey area, shall we say. But today then we had in a competitor race, the Chicago Marathon, uh, Bridget Cosguy, she didn't just win the women's race. Uh, she smashed the women's world record by over a minute. The previous world record was 2 minutes 15, 25 seconds. She won today 2 minutes 14 and 4 seconds using those same shoes. Um, we, we all know the question marks around the previous world record holder who held it for 16 years, Paula Radcliffe. But regar like, regardless of, um, let's just say, anything chemical, these shoes seem to have propelled... Uh, cost guide to this massive, massive increase because if you said 90 seconds of a difference, that's just what we've seen here in the Women's World uh, Marathon record. Yeah, exactly. It's a, it's a 
lost those boxes taken off 81 seconds it really is astonishing you know when Kipchoge lowered the men's marathon world record last year it was uh, I think it was 78 seconds he took off it which was the biggest chunk to come off the marathon world record um, in a few decades you know I think it was since the 80s um, so you know I think five years ago we kind of thought that we were getting to the limit of I suppose marginal gains and you know very marginal returns when it came to improvements we thought we were at the limits and I guess then you think you realize when something like this comes along we're still nowhere near the limit and you know anti-doping if anything has improved in a big way in recent years you know the era of where people could full-blown take EPO in large quantities is over. It's not to say there isn't still athletes taking EPO in large quantities, but marathon majors like New York, London, um, Chicago, they all pay for considerable out-of-competition testing now, um, even in those, I suppose, hard-to-reach areas like Ethiopia and Kenya. Um, a lot of the kind of lower-level athletes would still, I guess, get away without being tested, but the ones who are hitting the podiums in the marathon majors are being tested out of competition. Um, so, Theoretically, really, if you look at it like that, we're now de- when it comes to doping, whether they're doping or not, we don't know. But certainly, if they are doping at the top level, it's it's going to be probably less effective and less quantities of doping they're going to be doing than they may have been able to get away with ten to fifteen to twenty years ago. Um, other than that, training methodologies haven't changed that much. Other technologies, obviously, the roads are still as fast as they were twenty twenty years ago as well. The difference, the only difference. The game-changing difference is the shoes, and really, since Nike came up with this technology in 2016, we've seen all sorts of records fall on the roads. We've seen people who will be running 205 marathons are now running 202 or 203. Like even the ordinary marathoner who runs three hours or four hours is taking five, six, seven minutes off because of these shoes. Um, so it's it's really altered the landscape. We've seen the half marathon men's record fall this year. We saw the men's marathon and women's marathon records fall over the last year. And the common denominator among them all is that it is the shoes. Okay, so okay, we're talking the shoes and another competitor, of course, or two competitors who uh, were in the men's section of the Chicago Marathon, of course, were Mo Farah and Galen Rupp, both, of course, who were heavily involved in the Nike Oregon project. Um, the Daily Mail broke, of course, a story today about a box of testosterone left on a, a table and so on. And there, it was kind of like tied into Mo Farah. Um, do you think that maybe it's the focus has sort of shifted now to sort of to nail Mo Farah uh, instead of looking broader and saying, let's, let's catch all the fish instead of just one big fish? Yeah, I guess the anti-doping authorities would claim, you know, I guess the media, especially the British media, they're renowned for building their heroes up and then trying to tear them down. And I'm not saying that's the case here, by the way, with Mo Farah, because um, there obviously is considerable smoke around his achievements going back a number of years in his associations with coaches like Jam Ad and, and Alberto Salazar now, of course. Um, but I guess anti-doping authorities would say that they almost treat everyone equally in terms of trying to catch across the landscape of dopers. And to be fair to them, the Athletics Integrity Unit is certainly rooting out a lot of the cheating in the sport, especially over the last five years. I mean, the numbers of Kenyans who've tested positive in the last uh, number of years is through the roof. I think it's probably in the 50s or 60s in the last few years. Um, Obviously, the higher up the chain you go, it's highly unlikely, as we know from all sports, when the rewards are bigger, to consider that athletes would be any cleaner. If anything, the higher up you go in terms of achievements, the dirtier it gets. There's no point denying that. 
but obviously the higher up you go, the smarter the dopers also get, the more money they have to try and get away with it. And really, I think with Salazar, that was the thing that we saw. You know, we can finally in the sport now say that he was cheating and not be afraid of being sued for it because he's been banned for four years as of last week. And that really was a celebratory day for all clean athletes and clean coaches in the sport because what they were going up against became a little easier to deal with knowing that Salazar wouldn't still be coaching in the sport. Um, but people like him are so well-backed. They were so well-resourced with the absolute millions that he had coming straight from Nike. He was doing it all on their campus in Beaverton, Oregon. And uh, we saw he was extremely sophisticated with his methods, legally and illegally, I guess. You know, he went right up to the line. And as we've now seen, I suppose, in the last two weeks, and we've seen it, we've, I suppose what came out in the last two weeks was only that he was banned. All that information has already been out there for a couple of years about what he was doing. But now it's le- we can now legally we can speak about it. Yeah, we can speak about it without getting yeah. ourselves in trouble. Listen, Carl, uh, final question before we let you go away and enjoy your Vienna evening. Um, with, with, with the advances, do you think that, you know, that, we're, that now we have this, uh, you know, Sepco was still ahead of the IWF. Has he been a force for good or should we still be asking questions of Sepco and his management of athletics? I mean, I think it's always good to ask questions. I mean, like when you go back to the start of his term, he had that Nike sponsorship. Um, when he took over from Lamine Diak, he was still a Nike. I think it was ambassador is the correct word. And But he was still in receipt of money from Nike, which was a clear conflict of interest. And it was, I suppose, troubling to see how long it took and how much criticism it took in the media and from fans before that was dropped. Um, because that is uh, certainly a situation the head of a sport should not be in any way embedded or have closer ties to one of the biggest uh, sponsors of the sport because it's a clear conflict of interest when making decisions and favouring Nike athletes or Nike groups over, say, Adidas or New Balance or the other rivals. Um, I think most, though, in the sport, and even Sebco's biggest critics, would admit that over the last... He's been in charge now for four years, since uh, the end of 2015, uh, have it has improved things considerably. Um, in terms of... And the anti-doping front, they've definitely caught a lot more athletes in the last four years than they would have under Lamine DX reign. The Athletics Integrity Unit is now an independent arm, whereby it's a lot, I'm not saying it's impossible, but it's a lot more difficult for the corruption that we saw under Lamine DX reign to occur, given Lamine DX was able to, I guess, extort an athlete in Lilia Shobukova <laughs> well, we, to well, cover we, up a positive exactly. doping test. We saw um, Listen, Colin, So I think he's been a force for good, but far, there's certainly still plenty of issues in the sport, so we, we can't say it's been all great or all perfect. So some good it. done, lots more to do. Listen, Carl, that's good enough exactly. for us. Listen, have a great evening. Enjoy the rest of you in Vienna, and thank you very much for joining us tonight. Thank you very much, Alan. Okay, that was Carl Denning, of course, the chief athletics correspondent for a number of agencies, including the Irish Independent and Newsock. So we're going to go to the break right now, right away. Um, have a bit of fun before we come into part four. We have Ricky Martin and Living, Living La Vida Loca, even though it was on my tongue this evening. And back after this break. Capital Sports with Alan Moore. 